agreement that we would start a family as soon as we became independently wealthy or I turned 30, whichever happened first. This arrangement suited me just fine, until my 29th birthday, which happened on June 8, 2010, four months before this experiment of mine began. It was a few days after my birthday that I sat on a living room floor crowded with toddlers, wrapping paper, inflated balloons, and deflated moms, wondering to myself if this was it, my last year of freedom. A teary young mom had just recounted in excruciating detail the suspicious contents of her two-year-old's diaper when, as always seems to happen after a group of moms exchanges horror stories about parenting, someone asked in that familiar, cajoling voice, So when can we expect a baby from you, Rachel? I've come to welcome this question as a compliment, an invitation of sorts. But pushing 30 left me with fewer acceptable responses, and the truth, that I'm absolutely, inexplicably terrified of motherhood, was too embarrassing to speak aloud. It crossed my mind that I could get away with a lie, you know, shrug my shoulders, conjure up some tears, and say something about God's perfect timing to imply that we were trying, because, really, who's going to conduct a thorough investigation into that? But instead I found myself saying, I think I'd like to write another book first, which came across a lot more smugly than I intended. Dan certainly wasn't pushing parenthood. He's the kind of guy who values efficiency above all else, and after seven years of marriage, our two-person family unit moved through the world like a SWAT team. We communicated mostly in code and with hand motions, tackling everything from chores to road trips to our two home businesses as a highly organized team. Tasks were silently assigned to whoever could finish them first, so we wasted little time talking about division of labor, or roles. When it was time for dinner, someone made it. When the money dried up, someone took on another client. When the sponge next to the kitchen sink started to smell like death, Dan threw it out. We'd seen what a few diaper bags and car seats could do to this situation, so whenever I brought up the issue of children, Dan shrugged his shoulders and said, we're in no hurry. I'd quickly agree and then change the subject, pretending that the rhythmic gonging reverberating throughout my entire body was something other than my biological clock going ballistic on me. But it wasn't just my friends pushing procreation. It was my church. I was raised evangelical, which means I spent a good part of my life feeling sorry for the rest of humanity on account of its certain destiny in hell. This was not something my parents taught me directly, just something I picked up from preachers, Sunday school teachers, and Christian playmates along the way. After hearing time and again that wide is the path that leads to destruction, I just assumed that Buddhists went to hell for worshiping Buddha, Catholics went to hell for worshiping Mary, and Al Gore went to hell for worshiping nature. I didn't even think to have a faith crisis about it until college. The first time I saw Joyce Meyer preaching on TV, I figured she was going to hell too. I was about nine years old at the time, and I remember she wore a fuchsia suit, a short haircut, and massive gold earrings. Pacing back and forth on the stage, with a microphone in one hand and a Bible in the other, Joyce spoke with a conviction and urgency I'd never witnessed before. Her confidence frightened me. I wondered how she could be so brazen in the midst of her sin how she could go on speaking about the favor of our Lord when everyone knows ladies aren't supposed to preach from the Word of God. According to my Sunday school teacher, 
that was a job the Bible reserved for men. By that time, I'd received a lot of mixed messages about the appropriate roles of women in the home, the church, and society, each punctuated with a claim that it was God's perfect will that all women everywhere do this or that. In my world, women like Joyce Meyer were considered heretics for preaching from the pulpit in violation of the Apostle Paul's restriction in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. While conservative Mennonites were considered legalistic for covering their heads in compliance with his instructions in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5, every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Pastors told wives to submit to their husbands as the Apostle Peter instructed in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, but rarely told them to refer...